Welcome to Exit the Echo Chamber, Episode 7, a podcast powered by Six Tiles Media. My name is William Reginald Rhoda, and I'll be your host. Today on the show, we're talking to Dalil Lokwa. Dalil's lived in Winnipeg for the last four years after immigrating to Canada from Uganda. During his time in the country, Dalil's carved out a career for himself working with newcomer Canadian youth in the public school system. He's also spoken at conferences across the country and locally, from Toronto to Montreal, U of W to U of M, talking about his life. I sat down with Dalil to talk about what life was like growing up in Africa, but also what it was like adapting to life in Canada. He's a great speaker with inspiring attitudes and a ton of charisma. I always enjoy talking to him, and I hope you'll enjoy this conversation just as much as I did. definitely glad to have you this is gonna be fun uh so let's start with your your stuff from the beginning like mm. as a kid as a kid right like, from the front man like right from the beginning like where exactly like chapter one chapter one <laughs> uh what was it like growing up in um, africa well tell me where you're from to begin with yeah i'm from uh i was born i was born in the congo so like democratic republic of congo yeah what but, year you um, born? 1994. Okay. Yeah. So I was born in the Congo and I grew. I I had to live when I was like 12 months old, you know, like one year, like I was a baby. Mm-hmm. And I had to leave the country with my family, my mom, my dad. and I'm a twin. I have a twin sister. Yeah. Yeah. So we had to leave me, my mom, my, my twin sister and my big brother. So we had to leave uh, Congo and we went. Tanzania, Kenya, Sudan, until we actually like decided, my parents decided like Uganda was the safest place. Yeah. So I grew up in Uganda for like 16, 17 years. So how long did it take you to get to Uganda from the time you left Congo through all those countries? Yeah, I was, I was a baby, but I know, I know I was, uh, it took us a while because I, I grew up like from what my mom told me, I, I grew up, I reached Uganda when I was like five. Okay. So it has to be like four, four years and a half. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, they used to walk. So it's not like they used to take the bus or because it was war, right? So they keep walking to different borders. It's like leaving Canada and go to the US, you know? Right. So, yeah. And we reached Uganda when I was like five. And, you know, my parents are like immigrants at that time in Uganda. We're refugees. And, but they did all they could. I started school when I was like six, you know, me, my, my brother, my twin. So then I went to school. You know, but again, even in Uganda, life was really hard. Like a lot of, like the difference between Uganda and Congo, like everything is the same. But the difference is at least Congo's Uganda is more peaceful a little bit. But still, we had to like hustle. You know, I remember my parents. My mom had a restaurant. You know, she had to be selling food to make me go to school. My dad used to be a businessman. Like he used to like drive these big trucks. Or sometimes, like, I don't even know a lot about what my dad used to do because no? I know he was a businessman, but, right. <laughs> you know, because, like, life, like, they just kept, because it was a new country, right? They they didn't know any, they didn't know anyone over there, and, like, they had to do whatever they had to do to make us have a better life. 
Right. And uh, like I told you my story before, like even in Uganda, life was hard, you know, as in like there's corruption, there's like a lot of things. And I get I got bullied a lot growing up, actually, because uh, like I was, <laughs> I don't know, like I got bullied a lot when I was growing up because I'm um, like I was light skinned. And then the ki- most kids in Uganda, they're like dark skinned and stuff. Right. So that only was very hard for me. Like I got kids used to call me Muzungu. Muzungu is like white. So I was, <laughs> you know, I was bullied. Like some people couldn't even be friends with me because of that. And then some people liked me because I was light skinned. So you know that, like all that stuff. Double edged sword. Yeah. But growing up, life was really hard. Like if I, if I went, if I was to talk about that only, we would have like, I would take a lot of time. But yeah, like I, you know. I I don't know. Like I'm just grateful I'm alive because yeah. I know uh, I wouldn't. There's times where I was actually suicidal. You know what I mean? Like there's times where we, it's like you feel like you can't just take it anymore. Like life is hard, and you, like sometimes you go three days without eating. And I'm not saying because my mom, because I used to go to a boarding school, right? And I was so small. I'm still small, right? And I used to get bullied. Kids used to t- tell me, "Go get your food and bring it to me." You know, so like all that stuff, and you know. Was was really hard growing up. Like the war in my country, yeah. I would get very sad when I see my cousins or my, you know, my nieces back home in Congo die because of the war, you know, themselves. And, and we would get calls like from back home, like, "Oh, your aunt is dead. Oh, your your grandfather is dead." You know. So every time it was always something was always happening, you know. And uh, yeah, it was like, yeah, that's like part of my childhood. It was really really hard like trauma like it was trauma after trauma after trauma like constantly constantly yeah and and that's why i always tell you like for me i'm very positive now like i'm a very positive guy because like nothing scares me anymore like i've seen i've seen everything right like someone has uh someone has ever like put a gun on my face like on my head and stuff you know and as a kid yeah growing up i think i was like 17 you know like People still, like, you could be with something on the street and someone wants it. And someone can actually put a gun, uh, like, a, a gun on your head to take what you have, you know? So all that stuff, like, like I've seen everything. And that's why, like, right now it's like, I'm just at this point of my life where it's like, n- I still, like, have, I get sad about things, but it, it, that thing has to be really big because I've seen everything, you know? Right. And I try to be very grateful now because at least I'm in this country and, Life is, life's good, you know. Life's yeah. good. So, like, for I'd say almost everybody listening to this has all has been nowhere near Uganda. Like, what was what was it like? Like the the weather, your home, school. Like, what yeah. was it like as a kid? Oh man, the weather was beautiful. Yeah. Uganda is really like summer all year, you know. Yeah. In August, it rains a little bit mm-hmm. for the crops to like blossom, but still like. Like we have summer all year. Like I, I, I didn't know <laughs> people buy jackets until I came to Canada. <laughs> you know, like we always school was good too. We, like I used to go to um, a private school actually growing up. Like my mom, you know, like God bless her. My mom did everything to make us have a good life. Even yeah. if still there's other circumstances that made life hard, like the war or like getting bullied or like you know all that other stuff. But like my my parents always tried to make life easy for us growing up and you know but grow, going to school was good like that's how i learned some english and i was very like i was a very stubborn kid growing up so yeah sometimes i just 
made a lot of jokes in class and you know <laughs> stuff like that but school was also good like we you know i can't really like I, they used to send me home so much for fees you know like back here we don't pay school fees right. back home you pay every month every time so every term has four months but you have to pay money for that for your kid to, to attend right so if they don't if your parent doesn't pay they send you home Oh. So until your mom pays the money, then you come you back. You can't go to school. So yeah, so they used to send me <laughs> home like a lot because my parents had, my mom has seven kids. You know, my mom and dad, we are seven kids and all of us, they were supposed to pay. So yeah. it's like, life is hard. They don't have good enough. They don't have enough income. So sometimes they pay for me this this time, this semester, like you guys say semester, right? Yeah. So they would pay for me like this semester and then Next semester, they first pay for my big brother, right? Now right. for me, next semester, they send me home, my brother stays, you know? You know? Like, yeah, you gotta take the, turns. Yeah, we, we take turns, exactly, right? So sharing, sharing is caring. You know, we used to, <laughs> <laughs> we used to share turns, yeah. seriously, you know? Like, but school was good. Like, I, I was very smart. Yeah. When I was in grade, grade eight, I got a scholarship. Okay. From my school, not from the government. The right. government doesn't give scholarships unless you're like connected to a rich family. But my school, because we all went to the same school, mm-hmm. My school, I was very smart, so they actually told my mom, we'll be paying for him while you pay for the others. So for me, I started then attending school like on a regular basis because the school took me like as their own. Right. So then I started uh, eight, grade eight, nine, ten. I'm using grades because that's how they'll understand here. But back home, we say primary, like primary one, then primary one till, uh, till primary seven. So and then kindergarten is primary? Like Kindergarten is nursery. That's how we call it. Nursery, okay. Yeah. So then... Primary one is like grade one here. All the way till primary seven. Seven, yes. Okay. So that's grade seven. Yeah. And then for us, grade seven is like the grade eight, uh, is the grade eight of here, right? So for us, after primary seven, you go to high school. Right. So then you go, we don't call it high school, really. We say secondary. Okay. So that's six years of that. So you go secondary one, secondary two, second three, second four. And then after that, you can go to college or you can continue five, six, and then university. So I, I know in South Africa they don't say they graduate; they say they matriculate. Do you yeah, say that you don't graduate. Do? You graduate after you finish all the like to go to after university. That's then, when we say we gra- like we graduate. That's when we wear that cap. Right. That's why I was very surprised when I had to wear one for high school. Okay. Because we don't we don't do that. Right. You, you only wear that after you're done high school. I mean university. When you're the whole way. Yeah, or college. Okay. But like we don't wear them after high school. No. Okay. So that was something that really you know surprised me. Yeah. And, you got seven kids in your family. So. Seven kids, yeah. Three boys. I mean, four boys, three girls. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, but like we're used to it now, you know. But uh, yeah, it is. Is when you come to my family, you've been to my house before, yeah, yeah. you know. When we're all together, you think it's like three families, but yeah. it's just one family. <laughs> and now my sister's married, you know. My brother's married, so when they come with their kids too, yeah, I have a niece and a nephew. Full house now. It's like fifteen people. Yeah. Fifteen people, one family. So it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. It is. It's good though. Mm. And so, when did you immigrate to Canada? Uh, tw- uh, October twenty fourth, uh, two thousand fourteen. Okay. So that's like four years ago, I think. So, what age are you at this point? Pardon? What What age were you at that point? What What am I? What? What age? When you? What age? I was nineteen. Nineteen. Yeah, I was nineteen when I came. So, yeah, I was nineteen. Then I went to high school. I actually was done. Uh, senior six at my school uh, in Uganda, so that means I was supposed to come here and start university. But yeah. then they told me I have to get the Manitoba diploma, or whatever. So I went back two years in high school. 
in at Kildonanist. Okay. Yeah, so I went high school, grade 11, grade 12, but I was put in a um, regular class because my English was good. I was good at writing and stuff. My sister was put in an EAL class. That's for like new, right. new Canadians. But for me, they put me in a regular class for two years. And, you know, I graduated with very good. Actually, I did very good. I don't know why they didn't put me on the honor roll, but uh, <laughs> actually, like I got like the the, the small, uh, the, the lowest mark I got in my um, provisions was 75 in math. Okay. But I don't know. They, they didn't call me or like tell me I got the honor roll, but. You know, so 84 on a row, I think. Uh, yeah, like I got like 95 in English provisions, you know, right. like provisions. I got like 95. Yeah. You know, and but they still, <laughs> I don't know what happened, man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I'm still surprised still today, man. Like I actually feel like because I was new, right? Yeah. And I did get that. Like I feel like they should have put my name on the wall, you know, but they didn't. No recognition. No, I don't know if it's racism. I don't know, man. Like, I don't know. Where'd you go to high school? You said Kildonanist? Yeah, Kildonanist, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you didn't mind it there? Pardon? You didn't mind it there? Like, how did you find school in Canada compared to Uganda? No, school here is very easy. Yeah. But there's a lot of bullying here, though. Okay. Based on where I come from. Ours is, like, verbal back home. Mm -hmm. So people bully, like, hey, you know, the, your mom, your dad, whatever. You know, we, we have those silly stuff. Here's, like, people, you know, people have guns, man. People have gangs. You know, someone says, I'm going to wait for you, me and my gang, after school. You know, stuff like that. And here's like, people can actually get you to go to jail, man. Like, people plant dr like drugs in people's lockers here, you know. Back where I come from, we don't have lockers in school, right? right? So, no one can actually plant anything in your stuff at school. Here, it's like, it's bad. It's bad. Like, if someone doesn't like you here, like, the school, like, from my experience... I had friends in other schools like Miles Mark and all those other schools. They talked about, oh, man, we'll, we'll frame him. We'll do this. We'll, you know, we'll stab him. You know, that kind of stuff. And I don't know if they went through with that kind of stuff. But I used to hear a lot of those kind of conversations. Right. And it scared me. Like, And even for me, the school here was very different because it was the first time in my life to actually feel like I was different. Because they put me in a regular class and I was the only black kid and my accent and everything. Right. All these kids spoke, the, you know, the English they speak here, right? And I spoke very different. It took me like three months before I said anything to anyone. And the only reason I spoke, the first time I spoke is because they were talking about the Congo and how rich it is and everything. So I, it made me feel good. We're like having a history class and this mm -hmm. guy's talking about African countries that are rich and stuff. And then when he spoke about my country, then that's when I felt like I should say something. But like school here is very different. I got, I got punched by a kid, a white kid when I was like, I don't know, three weeks old, like, in school, in my school. And then I told this, I told my principal. Three, eight, over like, here, you mean? No, no, three, three, yeah, three weeks in, uh, in, uh, in school. Right. Because it took me a while to get, uh, uh, like, registered for school. Mm -hmm. But I'm saying when I started school, after three weeks, some kid punched me in the, in the washroom. Just I don't know. Cause, like, what happened? I don't know, I don't know what happened. I, I think he was frustrated or something. And, uh. I was standing on, in his way or something. I don't even remember the whole story, but I know the kid punched me like on my chest, right? So right. I went I went to the principal and I told the principal and they told me to call the kid. But because I was new, all white people looked the same, man. Like <laughs> you know, like I went <laughs> I went out and I'm like, hey, like I know the guy's white, but I don't know. I can't yeah. really like say it's this person for sure, you know. To, that, to yeah. me at that moment, like everyone looked the same because they're all white. Yeah. I could just say this is white, this is Asian, but I couldn't say this is so and so, you know? Right. So when the principal asked me to call the guy, I couldn't find the guy. And, you know, the guy went away with punching me because I couldn't, 
like tell who he was you know maybe even he was standing next to me at that time but i couldn't tell because to me like all white people look the same <laughs> right now i can tell a difference a little bit but uh, do you find it better now that you've been here longer to tell the difference between yeah, white yeah, people yeah yeah and yeah. i've been you know again i've dated i've dated uh i've gone out with canadian before so it's like yeah now i can tell and i've i have many white friends now and you know so it's easier but when i came it took me at least six months before i could tell like i could tell celebrities because i've been seeing them since back home right right but here like in my classroom i couldn't i couldn't tell who was who like i couldn't for like six months it was very hard for me and like after some time now it's like i don't i laugh at myself i don't know why i used to look at them the same but now it's like i can tell the difference right away even if i right. just meet someone yeah yeah <laughs> but like yeah school here is for me academically here school is easier really than where i come from but mentally hasn't like the behaviors of people here and back home i'd rather study back home so would you say you felt less safe at school here yeah Yeah, really really yes because here it's like right away you tell that you're different from these people that's the thing and then that you know inferiority right you start feeling inferior just so your mind it's not like right away people are like racist to me even if that happened after some time but i'm saying like as soon as you get into the class right away you feel unsafe because you're not seeing a brother around you're not seeing anyone black like you and right. even if you see someone black like you some of them were born here they don't know anything about africa so when it, even them when they look at you they still make fun of your accent just because you speak different you know so mm-hmm. it's like i used to go home feeling like i don't want to come back to school because it's like i could tell the way people looked at me and some people actually liked the way i talked right but most of them would just make that fun of the way you speak or the food you bring to school because they've never seen it right so they don't ask oh what kind of food is it like, oh i don't like the way your food looks i don't like the smell of your food so that kind of stuff mm-hmm. it was really hard for me like in high school it was really hard for me like all the two years in my high school i liked the school i liked my teachers but i didn't like the way my my peers treated me you know and some of them i'm not going to say all of them were bad but like most of them Yeah. I, had, I had people who were very close to me who liked me who thought I was funny who thought my accent was really cute or whatever but I'm talking about the majority of people right they didn't treat me really good and then how old are you today now oh, 23 23 so yeah. four years you've been here now yeah yeah so yeah. first two years in high school then what have you been up to since then man I've been, I've been you know working I I got my first job working in construction you know that was like the first year I came here because I came here with the private sponsorship right eh? So right. we don't get money from the government until after one year. And we had to survive, man, you know. The guy who like sponsored my family died before we came and his wife had like 14 kids to take care of, you know. So we tried so hard to not 14 make 14 kids. Yeah, but from different women. Right. But the guy came with all of his children here. Okay. Right? And uh and the one know? wife. Yeah, so Mr. Almas he sponsored my family and when we got here the the lady welcomed us, took care of us, but we could tell she's struggling, right? Because mm-hmm. we are many of us and Most of us we could look for some money or like whatever right so me I I have a friend called Fred very good friend of mine one of my best friends he took me to a place it's called TLC like they give you daytime jobs like construction and stuff right so I worked there for like three months and that was my first job I, I made some good money because I was getting like 18 an hour and right. I was working like seven hours a day Monday to Saturday yeah so I, I made some good money and I helped my parents out and we moved out we got a small house you know we're like se- nine people two parents seven kids yeah but we got a house with three rooms you know 
And then we lived there like sharing rooms and stuff for a while. Until after that one year was done, then we got um, Manitoba housing, you know, the one, my place now right. where I live, big house now and all that stuff. But like that was my first job. Then I was introduced to the needs, you know, the needs center. It's a place for newcomers. So where is the needs that are located? It's on Notre Dame. Okay. Yeah, very nice place. 251 Notre Dame. Very beautiful place. They helped me integrate, man. Like needs was the first place where I went to and I felt like I was in Africa. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Because it's like everyone there is a newcomer, like from Eritrea, Ethiopia, Somalia, everyone. So even even if we had people from like Philippines or like uh, Vietnam, but most of us were like Africans. And like even when I was at Needs, you don't even tell you have an accent because everyone has an accent. Right. So it was like Needs made me feel like we're all different, but then Needs made us feel like we, we're connected for some reason, you know? And it was like family to me, you know? I went there for like two years in high school. Every time I had a bad day at need, at school, I would go to needs in the evening because they have after school program. They helped me with my homework, mentorship, all that kind of stuff. And I went there for like two years. After two years, they got me a job actually. My first year over there, they um, got me a job at A&W Portage Place. Okay. So I worked at A&W for like, I actually quit going back to school. I was working there for like three and a half years. So I worked at A&W for like two years. Then I applied for a job at needs. So then I worked at Nice for another two years. Yeah, and I I went I just left the job because I was again going back to school because I got a scholarship. But yeah, like needs when after school I would just go to needs and they really helped me integrate, like they taught me a lot about the Canadian society and all that stuff. So, you know. What was your position at Needs? What were you doing there for work? I was uh I was a community connection assistant. So we worked in schools, after school programs and we did a lot of um Interpretations. Elementary schools or yeah, yeah, like I worked in so many Winnipeg school divisions, like fifteen of them. Really? Yeah. So after school programs, I did in interpretations, translations, but mostly I was uh, mainly based at Malvi School. Okay. Know? But uh, sometimes they would call you at another school when there's a new family from Congo who need interpretation and stuff like that. Because yeah. I speak like four languages, you know, and uh, la- like working with the youth is just my passion. You know, I love. I just feel like. Personally, I didn't enjoy my youth because every time I was always worried something would go wrong. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I've always, be, like, because of that, I've always been like that. Every time something good goes on in my life, I just feel like something is going to mess it up because that's how we grew up, you know? Something good happens, you have a nice phone, and then someone steals it from you, you know? So I've had that mentality. And it's like I've worked at needs with the community connections, and it's like a privilege to actually be around those kids and help navigate because they're very scared like most of them the kids i worked with are from like nine years to like 14 mm-hmm. but they're kids who are desperate for money because they didn't have all these things growing up and now here it's like they're in canada but they don't have those things right it's like me when i came here i expected a lot of things right away and it takes time right even for them it's the same thing like they come here and they think i'll have my own room i'll have an ipad i'll have these cool shoes and then they get here they have to work for that stuff their parents have to work for that time. stuff so it takes time. And then when I work with them, that's the stuff I tell them, you know. I was just like you and, you know, it took me time to get a job. It took me time to do this. So every time I'm around, the, I was around those kids, we always, you know, talked about, you know, like we always talked about the laws in Canada, like what to do, what not to do, traffic, you know, how to w- cross the street. We teach them about services around their community, you know, places to go for fun, like the folks or like the mall, you know, all that kind of stuff. So that was... Part of my job at um, 
at needs i did a lot of um like uh get helping with services right like interpretation too because most of our families just like mine my mom is going to school you know my dad's going to school oh yeah yeah just because they want to learn english you know? so just it's for english for english classes yeah. yeah because like most of our parents they 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 when they were back home most of them didn't have the right to go to school you know even me it's because my family actually put in time and money to make me go to school but i would have come here i know i know kids who are here who are like 25 but they can't speak english just because maybe they grew up in the congo and they speak french right? right or we have kids who grew up in uganda but their parents didn't have the money they lived in a refugee camp so they don't even have money for school so yeah like i'm, I'm very lucky that my parents actually put in money and time for me to go to school that i came here speaking english but yeah that's part of my job like i used to do i worked in so many winpeg schools and i've done so many like with my job at needs i've done so many presentations about welcoming newcomers to this country and you know canadians being nice just being nice because some canadians tell kids uh, our kids at school like oh you guys came to take our jobs you guys came to you know to like take our country you know and even so, from like, the children you hear a lot of that yeah, the children hear, hear this stuff from their parents. Right. You know, like, their parents tell them this stuff at school. Yeah. Like, oh, these people are coming in to take our money. The government's giving them free money. But it's like, the government's giving these families a maximum of like $500 a month. Mm -hmm. And you know this, that that's not enough money. Not for a family that's with many kids, enough. yeah. Exactly. And most of our families, even my family, they always have like five, six kids, you know? That's not enough money. No. Until the child ma tax kicks in after like six seven months but still that money is good and i'm not saying it's not enough i mean i'm not saying it's not helping but i'm saying it's not enough so with us uh when i do these presentations or even when i worked in the schools i worked in we did um a program called cultural like cultural like uh integration so we had all the canadian kids and the immigration ki i mean the refugee kids mm -hmm. sit together in a class and teach them about how life is from the country these people are coming from, right? Because some of them just think these people come here because they want to come. They don't. I don't. I wouldn't come to Canada if my country was safe. You yeah. Know? I would come here for like tourism, just like Canadians go to Uganda just to yeah. look at animals, right? But we come here, we stay here forever just because our place is not safe, you know? So that's what I used to do at NIS. Like we teach our newcomer kids on how to integrate in the country and then we teach the other kids on how to be welcoming to these kids because these kids have been through enough already i have a client i worked with who's like nine and she told me she's seen her uncle being killed in front of her this kid is nine years old where's she from syria yeah you know you know and i have some like we have the same stories right so that's why uh like i worked i i did i took that job at needs i felt like everyone has a story you know and everyone needs someone to understand because the thing is there's so many organizations in canada where it's like canadians doing the job but the thing is canadians are really nice people and i i believe this from the bottom of my heart they really want to help but you can't help what you can't understand you get me so i feel like the more these government organizations that work with newcomers employ newcomers that would make more sense and i was happy when i seen the immigration like the the minister of immigration is now an a refugee right from somalia that's good because he understands mm -hmm. what we go through right but if it's a canadian they don't really know what's going on like they really want help but they don't have an idea of what's really going on right, right. so stuff like that you know that's very important for uh, canadian people to understand when you're working at these schools are you specifically working with new immigrants and uh, refugees or do you work with the entire class to help them no, understand no, too I get paid to work with the immigrant kids. Okay. 
But the thing is, I uh, like a one-on-one or a small group basis. Well, yeah, or? It depends. Some kids want one-on-one. Some kids groups. You know, right. it all depends. But uh, I get paid. I used to get paid to work with uh, immigrant kids, but I always tried my best to always have the immigrant kids make friendship with the Canadian kids. Because again, at the end of the day, these are people they're going to live with, right? right. So I didn't want. I I, I believe in inclusion. Huh? I feel like when we do when we do programs where it's like only newcomers, it's good to do those programs, but it's good for sometimes to also involve the other communities because, again, whenever we do, it's only newcomers. They speak their languages when they are among each other, right? So they don't learn English and they don't learn the other as- aspects of living with other people who are not like them, right? So I always try to involve, uh, even my boss always encourage, uh, like encouraged us to like involve other you know groups. Right. So we always did that. But like, I, I I worked more with newcomer families, but again, I always did my best to have the Canadian, I mean the Canadian families and kids involved, just because yeah. it sends the message that it's all about peace and love, you know. Right. Yeah. What advice would you give for someone who's listening and, like you said, people who don't understand, it's hard for them to help? Like, What would you say to someone that says, you know, they don't want to be complacent, they want to help make a difference? Like, What's the advice you give to somebody? Uh, to somebody who wants to do what? Somebody like, who, who wants to be helpful to new Canadians. New Canadians. That yeah. might not understand where they're coming from as much. Yeah, I think the first thing is they should stop being judgmental, you know? A right. lot of Canadians, they judge. I I I have this lady. It's, it's a sad story, but I laugh when I think about it right. now, you know? I have this lady, man, like, she told me, like, she likes Canadians, right? I mean, she likes newcomer people, and she she has no problem with Muslims, and she has no problem with black people, Asians, whatever. But she told me she wouldn't be comfortable, her daughter, you know, marrying or dating immigrants. Right. Right, right? you know? And, and to me, and that's sorry, like... Sorry, where's this woman? He, where'd you meet her? Uh, I met her at a uh, conference. And uh, she really liked the things I talked about, right? And right. we talked for a while because after the conferences, a lot of for some reason, I uh, and this is not to be uh, braggy or whatever. For some reasons, uh, every time I do these conferences, there's people who actually come to me and they're like, "Hey, man, like your speech has just touched my heart." And, you know, they tell me that kind of stuff. Yeah, it no, makes you're me feel good. You're grabbing really speaker good. totally. Yeah. yeah. So this lady comes to me. She's like, "Hey, man, like I really like the speech, and I'm not racist." You know, she's telling me all this stuff. I'm How old is this like, woman, if you had to guess? I think she was like 38 or okay. maybe 40s. Sure. Like, I don't think she's in her 50s. But right. she still looked young, you know? And she told me, like, you know, I don't think they come to get our money. I don't think they're bad people. But I just, I wouldn't be comfortable, my my, my daughter, dating someone from Africa or someone from Syria. Right? Yeah, but... And I'm like, hey, man, like, like, what do you mean? And she's like, I don't know. I just, I guess I'm not, I, I just... I'm not used to that. That's what she told me. So I'm like, how are you going to get used to that if you can't welcome that? You're yeah. Because like, my sister is not married to a black person. The guy is from Africa, yes, but he's not black. He's mm-hmm. Arab. He's from Morocco, you know? Okay. Morocco, they're like, they're like basically white people. Yeah. Right? So, like, the idea of saying you actually welcome people to your country, but you wouldn't want them to have relationships with your kids it shows, it shows that something's wrong, right? So, the, uh, like, judging people, I think... I was on a plane one time going to Toronto and this lady again I, I met this lady for some reason we started talking and she was she told me you know what you're really funny I like you and then she asked for my name right and I told her and oh Dalil and she's like I've never heard that name before I'm like yeah because the name is Arab and all that and she's like so what are you I'm like I'm Muslim and I could see in her face right away like she she didn't like that yeah you see what I mean like she 
even even the fact that I was making her laugh and she was liking my conversation just after finding out a Muslim, her demeanor changed. And yeah. this happens a lot, like in this country, where we have Canadians, Syrian people, some of them look like white people. If they don't tell you their name, or if you don't hear their accent, you think they're Canadian. Yeah. But no then after they say their name, oh, I'm Abdurashid, then someone freaks out. <laughs> um, you know? Yeah. Someone freaks out. It's like, hey, man, like, you were just having a good time two hours yeah. ago. It was all good when you thought my name, name was Roger. Yeah. But like, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> so that's what I think if they want, if, if anyone wants to work with newcomers, they should take out the idea of thinking we are bad people, you know? And yeah, there's some of us who don't bring we don't leave a good impression on newcomers or whatever. But I feel like it's the same thing with even Canadians, right? Some Canadians with everything that happened to the Aboriginals, we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't, you know, yeah. keep talking about that. Because, you know, mistakes happen and life goes on and it's not like we forget, but it's like we don't want to judge everyone based on that mistake, right? But with us, even me being Muslim, I feel like sometimes we get judged for the fact that some Muslim bombed someplace, you know? Yeah. It's like... And uh, like this, this idea of thinking we can welcome, because I feel like right now in this generation, people are scared to be called racists. People are racist, right? They, they can call us the N-word in their houses, but they can't say it in front of other people because right. they know they'll be called racist, right? But if we can take out the idea of saying, I don't want to be called racist and actually just not be racist, you know what I mean? Because right now it's like everyone is acting like they love black people, they love Arabs, but they would tell their kids, I wouldn't want you to marry an Arab or a black person. Same thing with some black people. They tell their kids, if you marry the white, a white girl, I wouldn't be happy about that. But when you look at it, it's like we can't, we can't just judge people depending on something one person did. And that's the same thing with us newcomers. Like, If anyone, Canadian or not, black or white or Asian, if you want to go into a, like an organization where you want to volunteer with newcomers, first thing is you have to just understand that these people have gone through a lot in their life and you should be understanding. Just understand that there's some things we do as newcomers, you wouldn't understand why we do them. But the thing is, some of us were traumatized and we try to act normal in a society where they want us to act normal, but to us, this is not normal. And I think I told you this before, I came here and they told me stuff like, you have the right to this, you have the right to this. I didn't hear those words until I was 19 years old. So when I come here, it's like, I start thinking I have the right to everything Right? Because right. I've never had these rights before. But mm -hmm. then sometimes it's like, I don't have the right to kill someone. Yeah. Right? Even if I do have the right to, be, to do whatever I want, it doesn't mean I can kill someone. You see what I mean? So it's like, when we come here, all these words are new to us. And they have to understand that we don't understand. Even if we act like we do, sometimes we don't even understand the accent. Me, I've dated someone white before. And sometimes they say some stuff, you know, they tell me stuff. I'm not <laughs> understanding what they're saying. But I'm, I want to look, you know, I want to look smart. Yeah. So I'm like, hey, okay, yeah, babe, you know, that's good. But I don't know what she's saying. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So what I'm saying, what I'm trying to say is, I do know what you mean. If someone yeah. says something with an accent and I don't understand like the second or third time, I might just smile because I don't want to seem like I'm yeah, being rude. Exactly, or I gotta, Yeah, right. no, totally. And, and, and I, I went in for an interview with my first teacher when they were trying to see my English. Mm -hmm. And I know this for a fact that there's so many things I told this lady, she didn't understand. She didn't understand. But when I wrote stuff down, that's when she knew actually new English, as in like my English was good. But when I, I kept talking to her, she, she could give me this face like she wants to ask me, but she doesn't want to seem rude. And I understand. My accent sometimes, you know, not even sometimes. I have a, you know, a thick accent and I'm trying, you know, like I try to talk. And this is who I am. I don't want this to change because this is my identity as a person, right? This is how I talk. But like what I'm saying is I don't expect everyone to understand everything I say because right. that wouldn't be reasonable. 
Do you think you have less of an accent now than you did four years ago? No, I think it's still the same. Still the same. I, I think <laughs> I think my confidence is high. Yeah. As in like now I can talk for so long, but I, I I've had myself speak and it's the same. Yeah. Because I've done so many presentations before and sometimes they send me the clips the and cl- everything. Yeah. And it's it's the same. I would say I'm fluent now, as in like when I speak I don't stop right to think about what to say next. But yeah, the accent's still the same. And I personally, like I said, has has I've grown up, I've I've learned to, I think, fall in love with myself, right? It's like sometimes you have this idea of who you want to be versus who you really are, you know? And then getting to who you really want to be, I mean, who you really want to be, you have to love who you are right now because it's a process. Right. And that's why even when we're cooking food, it's like you have to first cook the food before you actually want to eat the food, you know? But the thing is, sometimes we come to this country and it's like you actually want to be I don't know, Canadian has in like the way you talk, the way you behave. But this is a process because we, like me, I've grown up 19 years in Africa. I can't just change in four years. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's a process. And it's not like I want to change. <laughs> you know, it's not like I want to change and be Canadian. But I'm saying I would need time to actually start even behaving like a Canadian. I, I do respect the constitution, right? the Canadian constitution. But it doesn't mean that. I am Canadian, has in my behavior. I sometimes I go to people's houses without making an appointment, but <laughs> but that's not Canadian, right? No. Canadians, we have to tell someone I'm coming today at this time, so they can tell you if they will be at work or they will be home or whatever, right? You Uganda, you just show up. I show up, man. Like, <laughs> you know, like it's like because back home that's what we do. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Like, it's uh, it's more like, I don't know, like the the Canadian, like you asked if they wanted to be helpful, the first thing they do is just be understanding, and be have empathy, you know. Just have empathy. You have to understand. Let me ask you something. And I know you're supposed to be asking questions, but I just want you to imagine. <laughs> I want you to imagine this. Right? Tables are turning here. Yeah. Imagine you are born in Canada for 19 years. You've lived in Canada. And then abrupt, they take you to South Africa to live there. All your friends you knew, everyone you knew in Canada, it's like history now. You have to start in Canada from 19 years old in a high school. You don't know anyone there. Everyone there is black. You're white. You know how much trauma that would have on, on you as a person? I can't even imagine. Right? But Canadians don't think about that. They just think we're coming here for the money. Uh, I'm taking a 15-hour flight from where, I, from where I used to grow up, from where I'm used to, from where my neighbor speaks the same language as me, same values as me, and I'm coming to a country where I don't even know if my neighbor is going to be a vegetarian. They don't want to see me eating meat, uh, you know, frying a barbecue in the summer. And I'm coming, I'm taking all that risk because I want to be safe. Right, so the only thing you can do to me, you don't have to feel sorry for me. Just be, you know, understanding with me and understand this guy has been through a lot. And maybe if he wants to date my daughter, you know, he's welcome. <laughs> as, long, as long as my daughter doesn't say no, you know. Of course. So it's more like stuff like that. Like we just want someone to understand. And Canadians have a big history of depression. And what can we do as other people who know someone has depression? We just have to be understanding because sometimes they don't want anything from us. They just want us to acknowledge that they're different. And they're going through some stuff that we wouldn't understand at the moment. But the thing is, Canadi- some Canadians don't put that analogy on like newcomer youth, especially young kids. Look at my parents. Do you know my dad has only three friends and my mom has maybe six friends? Because most of the friends they have are from school and they're like black like them, right? Right. So imagine someone who grew up with all her friends back home. She comes to a new country and now she can't even make friends because she doesn't speak the language. Tell me how hard that is, right? Yeah. But we as the kids, 
we like me personally, I have to like try my best to make my mom feel good, so that not forget her her friends back home, but at least to show her that you can make friends here. But how do I do that? I speak the language she doesn't. So she's going to school. Someone who's like four years old. She's going to school with other four-year-old women. You know, they have husbands. When they get home from school, they have to cook. They have to do all this stuff. You know, that is all. That is very traumatizing for someone. You know, so like just being understanding. I think Canadians, and I'm not saying most of the Canadians are really good people, but there's some who make this life very hard for us. Like they judge us from the way I don't know, from the way we talk, from the way we dress. Africans, most of us just like looking good. It doesn't mean we have money. Yeah. It just means we just love looking good. Because, again, where we came from, we didn't get a chance to wear all the things. Now we come here and we find it like 10 bucks, I don't know, on discount. Then yeah. you buy something. And it's like, oh, you look at the way they dress. They all dress like fancy. They're taking our money. And it's like, hey, man, I bought the jacket for 20 bucks, man. Like, yeah. cut me a slack, you know? You're eating McDonald's every day. How much money is that? You know what I mean? <laughs> Every day, bro. Yeah. Like, I, and when I get 20 bucks and buy my jacket and it looks good on me, it's a problem for some people, you know? Right. So, yeah, it's more of just being understanding, man. Like, just be understanding. Like, not only to newcomers, but let's just be understanding to each other, you know? Everyone is going through something. Everyone. If I asked you to tell me about yourself, the things you're going to tell me that I've never gone through, you know, and they've been hard for you, maybe I would say, oh, that's not a big deal. But for you, it was a big deal, you know? So, we as human beings, I think we just have to be understanding to each other, you know? That's it. Uh, just be kind. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just yeah, be it's kind. It's real simple when you put it like that. Yeah. You said you speak four languages. Four languages, they? man. Yeah. I speak Swahili, Lingala, Luganda, and English. Is it common? People have multiple languages like that in Uganda? No, no, no. no not, it's not common, but for me, it's more because I grew up in different countries. And when you're a young kid, you pick up yeah. easily, you know? I, I reached Uganda when I was five years old. In Kenya, in Kenya, they speak Swahili, right? right? So I had to learn that. Lingala is from Congo. My parents taught me that growing up. Right. Luganda is for Uganda, the national language, and then English, you know, school, you know. So I speak like four of them. I, I, there's some that I, I can listen, but I can't say, but like the ones that I speak fluent and write. Those the, are the those four, four that you're good in, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Do you miss home? Yeah, very much, man. You've never been back yet? No. I <laughs> I always plan to go back, but then, you know, I'm not yet citizen. So it's like, right. like all these travel documents takes a while and it's too much work, man. Like you're filling in like papers every day and then you send them. <laughs> and when you do one mistake, they send them back and then you have to fill them again, send them. It takes six months just filling those papers, man. Like, you know, so I'm just waiting until I become citizen, but I miss home. I miss home. And uh, I think that's the hardest question someone would ask me because to me, this is home already, you know? Like Canada you is like home already. feel like Canada's home now? Yeah. Like, yeah. No, no, like this is where I feel safe, man. Every, anywhere you feel safe too, is home. Right? And my family's here too. Yeah. But the thing is, you know, Africa raised me, man. Like I'm African, you know? And even Africa is actually making it, like I would make it seem like big, but like Uganda itself, you know? This is where my roots Mm -hmm. My roots is as a person, and Congo is where all my family is. And even if it's killing some of the people I know, this is still home, you know. Even when you have a fight with your mom, you can't just be an orphan. You get me? Like you can't just be like, hey, you, you know, you're doing this to me now. You're not my mom. You're dead to me. She's still your mom, right? So with the I miss home. Like I and this is why I'm doing this today, right? Because I in hopes that uh, my people, when they come here, at least they can be treated with respect. I do all these presentations not because I really want to. Like, I enjoy the spotlight, don't get me wrong, but, like, I 
I'm doing this because, again, I, there's nothing I can do for the people back home as of now. But I feel like if I can spread out the message of us being kind to one another, even maybe the people, because, you know, I don't know if you know this, and I'm sorry to say this in this podcast, but some countries, Western countries, are involved in the war in Africa. You know, they're benefiting from this. So some of our people are fighting because some people are actually giving them guns. You yeah. know, so when I when I when I do this podcast with you, I'm in the hopes that uh, maybe when they listen to this, they can just stop doing it, and we can all live in a safe and better world. You know, because we Congo loses at least forty six hundred people a day. That's a lot of people, man. Every day. Every day. This is statistics, man. Like, I read this and I cried. Like, forty six hundred people, and forty six hundred people. Man, that's that's like a paycheck for some people, man. That's two weeks paycheck. Yeah. But now we're talking people like one, two, forty, six hundred a day. <laughs> man, when you think about it, you, I don't know who's dying, but I know some people that my mom related to my mom or my dad are in that number, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, I I miss home, but the thing is, I can't go home because again, it's not safe to go home, you know. So, I'm stuck between being Canadian and you know yeah being congolese well like you can be both i, I can, can be i both. can be both but uh you like i think the thing <coughs> the thing that scares all of us is losing identity man you know i i'm probably going to marry a canadian woman or whatever and then have kids here and they they will going to forget they even come from congo you know and yeah. like my kids are denied they're going to be denied the right to know their actual roots because of what's happening in their country right so I miss home, but again, this is home too, you know. Yeah, this place has raised me. It's made me who I am today, and I've met amazing people. And yeah, but I, I really miss home. But until I become citizen, man, because I don't, I don't want to go there and lose my, uh, my PR card, you know, the permanent card residence that would yeah. give us. If I lose that, I can't come so back. You can't come back, right? So I want to go at least when things go bad. I can just run at the embassy. I'm like, hey, man, I'm your son. Because you know? <laughs> when you, you know, when you're Canadian. If someone gives a fuck about you. I'm just yeah. saying, man. Yeah. Like, <laughs> the embassy cares. Like, Dalil is down. You know what I mean? Yeah. So send I, a chopper in. Would, yeah. yeah, send a chopper. Like, if Ebola came out and I'm, you know, there was an Ebola outbreak and I'm in, I'm in Congo or Uganda. Yo, Canada is sending, like, six jets and, like, <laughs> we're, we're getting our boy out, you know? <laughs> but if I'm PR, yeah. they have to think about oh, it. Sorry, man. Yeah, you know, they have to think about it. And, you know, but, uh, yeah, I really miss home. And, and you know, I, I say, I think, for me, humor is part of my defense mechanism. Right? Me too, man. Because I, uh, I feel like even when things go so wrong for me, and many people ask me this, how come you're so happy when things are bad and you know you, you have all these things going on? And it's like, again, when you think about it, I don't want to be this guy. Every time I'm next to people, I just make them sad with my stories, right? I, like, I would love to talk about my sad and depressed, you know, childhood but i don't i would love to speak about it in a joking way right like just like you're laughing a little bit because again at the end of the day i can't blame you for what happened to me or i can't blame you for what's happening in my country so yeah like i use humor as uh, my defense mechanism and uh, every relationship like i've been in my girlfriends don't like that because i uh, no they say i don't take stuff seriously but uh yeah man like i think yeah i would go i miss home but i'll go back when i get my papers you know, yeah. when I become Canadian, yeah. Can we 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 skip pretty quick over mm. as a kid, life as a kid there and everything? Can we? Do you have any standout stories that you maybe want to share? Yeah, yeah, man. Uh, I got 
I got a lot of uh, a lot of scars and but uh, like today I just feel like because I've talked about this you know so many times and it's it's uh it's more like when I talk about the things like right now and this is going to be on podcast for a while and I feel like one day I would want to listen to this and then when I listen to it again I, I get sad and everything but like I have I have like six scars on my body you know mm-hmm. from the war the civil war and stuff like that so but again those are things that are like whoever's listening to this I uh I just want them to know that uh life was hard for me growing up you know and you know um I personally I I believed in human rights when I was 20 years old because I feel like there's nothing called human rights these are human privileges people have them people like Canadians they have these things and people like some Africans they don't have those things and this applies even in western countries we as black people like person like me I've been stopped because I look like a suspect but what does that mean think about that like in Canada, at home in Canada like yeah. in Canada I've been stopped four times by policemen walking in my neighborhood going to buy bread or whatever and they tell me I look like a suspect but I know and I don't I'm not saying like the police is picking on me but I'm just saying if you can walk on the street looking like a suspect something is wrong I'm just saying and this this has been ha- like happening to many people and in countries like the US some black youth get shot just cuz they look threatening is what i mean so even when we talk about scars i don't even like like the physical scars that i have you know from the war and everything but then i have scars in my heart and brain mentally because even in this country the idea of safety for some black youth means a lot like cost it can cost us a lot we don't have control over who looks at us as threat you get me mm-hmm. some of us apply for jobs and just cuz our names are african we don't get called for interviews man Now think these are the people you want to have jobs so they don't sell drugs but you can't give them jobs because you think they're threatening to you right so the idea of like uh me growing up yes uh I've, I've uh you know the bomb has ever like exploded and I got a scar on my leg you know and I'm grateful that I'm still I can walk with both legs right but I'm just I'm saying like when I think about all the things it causes a lot of trauma to me personally and maybe my family right but even when we are in this country right now we always watching over our backs i just told you my car was stolen and i was treated as a suspect for like 3 months just cuz i'm black they think maybe this guy actually got people to steal his car so he can get money from mpi and these things happening i'm lucky i was found innocent but what if i was found guilty how would i prove i wasn't you see what i mean so that like stuff like that sometimes you feel like in in a country like Canada or the US or western countries where black people were treated as uh, we are marginalized right for some reason you just feel like maybe you should just go home and die and i know i sound very i found very ungrateful for saying this but i can't change who i am right and then when i think about this this is not about me what about my kids even if i was to have a kid with a white woman my kid is still black you see what i mean like this is going to follow my kids until they they actually have kids too so it's like me has a person when when i even talk about growing up in a country like this we have possibilities yes we feel safe but to an extent and uh, i don't know if you know about this but there's so many stories even in canada right now where it's like in the schools 
you apply, you, 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 you know, your counselor asks you, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? You say, I want to be a doctor. And they give you a look like you just said something outrageous, right? Because they just think because you're black, you want to play basketball, you want to be a rapper. And they, they question, <laughs> they question your future. They say, are you sure that's what you want to do? You see what I mean? And I'm lucky I got people at needs who actually believed in me to be who I am today, to have a scholarship and go into education and everything. But there's kids who get discouraged by their teachers just because they're black or they're Arab. I have a friend. I have a friend, Mustafa. You know, He told me a story. He said he wanted to be a pilot. Mustafa is like 27 right now. Mm -hmm. And they told him, one of the guys in that place told him, man, you know what? I don't want to discourage you anything, but you're Arab. I don't think they would actually accept you to be a pilot, right? Because they think like all Arabs are terrorists and all that stuff. Right. You see what I mean? So when, when you look at the idea of stuff like that, it scares even me as a person, you know, to even talk about, because we are peaceful in this country. We have rights, but to an extent, and that scares me as a person because, again, it goes back to, you know, being us human beings, being understanding and loving to each other. And uh, me, I've had so many scenarios where it's like, I have been stopped by the police because I look like a suspect. And I don't know what they mean by that, but it is scary if you think you just come out of your house and right away you could be stopped because, right? you know? So when, when you talk about the scars that I have, yes, I do have scars from back home and I've told you a lot about me and like stuff like and the reason why i don't want to go in so much details because this is a podcast and we don't have enough time but well d don't be worried about that mm -hmm. like it's, it can go as long as you need to go totally yeah so if that's if that's the issue yeah so like you know like uh i don't know uh so what what exactly like what do you want me to then say exactly uh, you don't have to say anything you don't want to say. I just you know, like to give some perspective on where you're coming from and what you overcame to okay. get here. Yeah, like, would, uh, would help because right now people know, you know, Uganda's war torn and it's far away. That's mm -hmm. probably all most people listening to this honestly know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man, I, I'm I'm going to speak in general, right? Please, yeah. Kids, kids growing up, uh, you know, okay, uh, a kid who's 11 years old, a female. Mm would be forced to marry a guy who's like 60 years old just because the parents want to get some money or some cows. So this is happening until today, 2018. You know, boys who are like 11 years old can join the army. So they force them. This is not like the kids want to do this. They are forced to go into the army so the government can have young rebels, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, in a country like Uganda or Congo, you know, girls, like young females can be raped going to the well to fetch, you know, to get water or something. They can be raped and then they blame, they would blame the girl for actually walking at night. You see what I mean? So they'll be like, why did you go out at night? You know, men rape at night. So it's like, it's okay for a guy to rape someone because it's night. You see what I mean? So the idea of uh, things like that, you know, talk about things like in a country like Uganda or Congo, you can go to school and come back, your house is burned down. Right, because it's not safe. So you, we in Canada, you go home, you know, and find your mom and dad. You find supper in the in the fridge or whatever. In a country like in those other countries, you can actually sometimes find your house burned down because there's war, like there's um, people fighting for land right. or you know just stuff like that. And I've seen this stuff. Like I'm speaking from what I've seen, some of the things I've said. But the reason why I don't want to put myself as, you know 
I, I, because I know this is still happening and there's still so many people who are going through the same thing. And for the view, uh, the listeners who are listening, I want them to understand that there's so many people who have the same story as me, even in Canada right now, just because they don't know who to talk to or they don't, maybe they just don't want to share. But like, there's so many people who are like me who have seen the things I've seen, you know? I like things like iPhones, right? People don't have, some kids have never had, they've heard of it maybe, but they've never seen one. Wi-Fi. I knew about Wi-Fi when I was like 19 when I came here. Right. And uh, now I can't live without it. But it's like, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's like, I I didn't know about this stuff. Yeah. And uh, I went to school, like I knew English. And I'm not saying like Africa is a jungle. We don't have Wi-Fi. No, we do. But this is stuff for people who are privileged. Mm -hmm. People who, their parents are working in the government. That is taking all our money. People whose parents are doctors, lawyers. They're the only people who have access to stuff like that. An iPhone, like the, the iPhone I have right now, would cost like 4 million shillings in Uganda. 4 million shillings is a lot of money. Some people die without making even 200,000, like 200,000 a year right? without making that. So 4 million would be like Bill gets rich. Yeah. You know? So like stuff like that, you know? And uh, I tell Canadian, my Canadian friends all the time, we as Canadians, we have things we don't even need. In a country like this, where well, I change phones every end of the year, cause black cell, you know, you yeah. gotta you gotta go hard or go home. But like, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know this kind of life growing up. Yeah, you know. So, to to Canadians listening or to anyone listening from um, all over the world, and they have the chance to actually even, you know, have the things. It's not like you have to have them, cause they don't make your life any better, but they help you enjoy life as it is. But some people don't have the things, you know, and Things like human rights, like I said. Some people don't even... I have I have a, a kid I work with right now. He's nine. He's never been to school. He's nine years old. And and you know how, what Canada, uh, like this country does to these kids? Where's he from? He's from Congo. Right. And and Canada, like, Canada is doing this thing where you're nine years old and they put you in a class because of your age, but you don't even know how to write or read. Mm -hmm. You know? So it's like this kid is in class and it's basically he doesn't even know what the teacher is saying. So I always had to go in and translate stuff for him. You see what I mean? But then imagine a kid in Canada who's five years old, knows how to use the iPhone, knows how to, you know, read the yeah, ABCs. Get on YouTube. You know, yeah. they know how to get to on YouTube. They can't even tell their mom, you're the worst mom in the world because they didn't get the iPhone X. You see what I mean? And then there's a kid in Africa right now, or Syria, or Yemen, three years old, and they haven't eaten for 10 days, man. 10 days. Because there's no food. And these are facts. And these are things happening. But then in a country like this, some people eat, like like Canada, people eat, I don't know, five, four times a day. Because I hear there's a meal called dessert. I don't even, I don't even know what that is, man. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like you eat breakfast, lunch, dinner, dessert. Like this is happening in this country. And then we have countries where people don't have anything to eat. They don't have access to clean water. This is, I'm speaking... Econ, I don't know if you know about this. This guy is going to Africa building solar panels for yep. countries, for people. He's built for like 500 million people. One person, Econ, is a, a pop star in the, in the United States. It's yep. from Senegal, right? Look at one person, they change his med in like two years. 500 million people have access to like solar panels because Africa has a lot of sun, right? Yeah. So he's putting solar panels over the roof and people have access to, uh, you know, to electric like hydro, right? So like there's light in the house. But I grew up, when I was like three, four years old, the house we lived in, we didn't have like power, you know. We used to cook with a charcoal stove, right? Like you blow it and then 
you know, put fire, all that stuff. People from Africa know what I'm saying, you know. And yeah. then food, you eat together because the food is so small, you can't give everyone on their, on their plate. So you eat together. So one the one, plate. Yeah, one plate. The one with the biggest fingers wins, <laughs> man. Like, <laughs> now imagine you're eating with this guy, he's 17, you're three years old. Yeah. How much scoops are you going to get? Because yeah. this guy, he basically has like 10 of your scoops. Yeah. Just one scoop of his is 10 of yours. Yeah, By the time you get three, it's like 17, you know? So stuff like that. And this is life until today. I'm not speaking like history. I'm speaking about life even right now. Yeah. I still talk to my friends back home. And you send, I send 10 bucks, 10 Canadian dollars to Africa. That's like, that's like 60,000 shillings. 60,000 shillings someone can eat lunch, breakfast, dinner for like four days. 10 bucks. But then 10 bucks in Canada, that's like a fry, a hamburger, and a drink. Yeah, not even. Yeah. You see what I mean? Totally. So when you look at how we grew up and how these kids are growing up, we should be depressed. You see what I mean? Yeah. We should be depressed. We should be sad. But then we try to be positive because we are grateful. And many, many of my friends tell me stuff like, Dalil, you said thank you so much. Why are you so grateful? Like, you know, and I'm like, I am grateful because... I'm even being alive today, I feel like it's a miracle, you know, because we didn't know we'd make it to 23. We didn't know that. Because in a life where you hustle with your life, you, you, you wake up today not knowing you make up, you'll wake up the next day, right? In Canada, we have this thing called life expectancy. Is that how you call it? Yeah. So people, they actually determine how old you can live. We don't have that. <laughs> you can die when you're five. And here it happens too, but I'm talking about here the majority of people yeah. that actually live to retirement. We don't have that stuff where we come from. So for me, just being here, I'm very grateful despite the fact that there is racism, despite the fact there's stereotypes, but we're still like very grateful to be here, right? And this and like when I speak about this, I'm telling you, I believe William, I believe in depression. Back home we don't have a word for those things, right? We just say, Oh, you're sad. You're always sad, but I believe in depression. I believe in anxiety. I believe in those things. But we as Canadians, as soon as I go to this country, we have control to many things in our lives. So you can be sad or you can be depressed because you have a test tomorrow. But then there's a kid who's five years old in Uganda or Kenya. He's sad because he doesn't know where his meal for the next two weeks is coming from. So when you look at that, you are being depressed by choice because you can decide not to show up for the test. But this kid has to leave for the next day, whether he's getting the food or not. You see what I mean? So that's what I'm saying. It's not that I don't believe in depression, but what I'm saying is if we're actually grateful for what we have, our chances of being depressed are very low because we always look at we're being better than anyone else. Canada, like I said, we as a country, we spend at least $3 million every summer on ice cream. $3 million. I'm not talking... three. You know how much that is? $3 million. That's like if we send that to Africa... In a country like Uganda, everyone would have lunch every day for at least three years. That's how much money we're talking. Here we spend on just ice cream every year and every summer. You see what I mean? So with depression being one of the biggest things in this country, we have to understand that we are being depressed because there's some things we want to control that we can't. But we, we want to control them because we feel like we're entitled to control those things. We find girls in this country who are very depressed because their boyfriend thinks they're fat. If you can be with someone who thinks you're fat, I think you just you should just leave them and get someone who's going to treat you like 
you're good enough for them, right? But then these are choices we make as people. And I'm not saying it's right for a boy or a girl to tell someone they're fat or skinny or whatever. But I'm saying these are small things compared to the big problems. Because some people have big problems, you know? People have actual problems. Young girls, boys in Uganda or Congo or Syria, they've lost their parents to the war. Every day this is happening. But here it's like you're depressed because your mom couldn't get to the iPhone X. Or because your mom couldn't let you sleep over at your best friend's house. And you're really depressed about that. I have friends, even me, I'm one of those. I'm guilty about this. We get very depressed when the Wi-Fi is slow. You know? Yeah. You say, oh my goodness, I can't believe this. My life is ruined. My, my Wi-Fi is slow. But, you know, there's a kid who hasn't had clean water for like three days. You know, they've been thirsty. You know? So, like, all that, when you, when you look, when you ask me about my childhood, this is part of what I've seen and what I've experienced. Like, life is really hard. And, you know, like, every time we as humans look at, like me personally, I look at how I am right now, I don't even see if I have a reason to complain because everything I have right now, I didn't know I would have this at this age that I have, you know? And me being in this country, just feeling all the things I'm feeling, very happy, you know, my mom, my dad, my family, all that stuff. You get to know that uh, we, you know, we are very grateful. Like, I mean, we are very lucky. We are very privileged to actually be in this country. Not only us newcomers, but everyone born in this country or anyone living in this country right now. Because we, every country in the world, wa everyone wants to be in this country. Everyone. Some people are dying. Do you know there's at least 300 people who die on sea trying to come to Canada through, you know, ships and stuff? And they die because it's too cold and sometimes they can't get in. And they die. Even here, when, when Trump became president, some people left the U.S. by foot. And some of them, their hands were cut off. I have a friend, his fingers all were cut off because of the cold. Imagine someone taking the risk of walking from the U.S. into the Canadian border when it's minus 45, just because they feel like U.S. is not safe. And then me as a Canadian, I have the audacity to post on Facebook that, oh, I'm so depressed, you know, because my boyfriend, he didn't tell me he loves me. That's... You can, you know, you can finish that with your boyfriend. People have actual problems. And I'm not saying our problems are small, but I'm just saying when we say the things next to people who have seen what life really is, they feel like we're being sarcastic. That's how I feel sometimes, you know? Because I have friends who tell me stuff like, oh, I'm really sad. I can't even have 3,000. I can't have three grand in my savings. They're like, hey, how much do you have? Oh, I have 1,800. You have 1,800 in your savings. There's people in Canada, even in Canada right now, they're homeless. They don't even have three dollars for coffee, and you have eighteen hundred, but you're sad because you can't actually save up to three grand. See what I mean? So when you said something to me, maybe who doesn't even have forty bucks in my savings? I think you're being sarcastic, and I think you're being ungrateful. You see? So that's what I'm saying. To from everything I've seen in my life, and from everything I've witnessed, I have decided to be very positive because I feel like we, as Canadians, even if I'm not Canadian yet. We as people who live in this country, we have so much reason to be more grateful than anyone else. But then, when you look at it, we are the most ungrateful people. Everything small, everything small, we complain. And you're Canadian, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, everything small, we complain. But then, the people who are coming from Syria, people who are coming from the Congo, people who are coming from Yemen, when they hear us complaining about the things, and they say we, we, we cry a lot, we say, oh, these people are so insensitive. 
the reason why they say those things is because they've been through a lot and they see the things you call problems to be something very small, you know? So, you know, but that's like part of like me growing up and all the things I've seen and why I choose to like be, because I, th I feel like the biggest problem here is people being happy. There's people have full-time jobs, good houses, they have nice cars, but they're not happy. Like, why do you think, why do you think this is happening so much here? Like, because you, you've I been here more than I, so. I, I think, like entitlement's a word you could use, but I, I think you're right. Like we have expectations. Like mm -hmm. you, you think that just because you're born, you deserve to live, you know, in mm -hmm. a house with room for four cars in the driveway in your own bedroom and this exactly. sort of thing. But yeah, you're, you're raised with that and you go to school with kids that have more and you're always just told to kind of want more. Like we're programmed to do that. We see so many advertisements, so we're, you know, yeah. thousands every day. Yeah. So, you know, like that's like, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like we, we, I don't even think we're programmed, man. I just think we, this is like privilege. Like, again, you know, like the word privilege works in so many levels, you know. People say, you know, white privilege, right? right. But there's, there's also black privilege, man. Like, we get to say the N-word. You, know, <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Like, we, you know, we are the only race right now that if, if I parked my car, right? Yeah. I didn't park it well and you told me, I, I didn't park my car where I can't actually say that was racism. You know, you know what I mean? We're the only race who can do... <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we're the only race who can do that. Like, we can actually sue someone because they thought they were being racist to us just because they told us we did something wrong, you know? So, privilege works in so many levels. And that's what I'm saying. Like, that's an example of the, the privilege I'm talking about. Like, we as Canadians, even me, I'm now kind of like that, right? Yeah. I want to have, like, 20 pairs of shoes. But... Uh, I know there's a time where I only had one and it was enough, right? Mm -hmm. But then when you get here, it's like you start feeling like you deserve everything, right? You you deserve everything good. So, like, I wouldn't judge someone if they wanted to buy 10 cars or whatever. But I'm saying they should be careful of the words they use next to people who have seen hell, right? Because I, I, if you told me, like, oh, man, Dalil, I have, you know, I have 10 cars and I feel like it's not enough, I would feel offended. Because maybe I don't have a car, right? But if you can buy 15 cars and you just drive your cars without actually making me feel bad about it, right. that's your right. Because you have your money. You see what I mean? What's actually interesting about that, though, is I think a lot of people buy 15 cars because they want to feel better than people that don't have 15. Right? That's what I'm saying, yeah. Which is the problem. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, send, I sent 20 bucks just last night to my friend, and he's been sending me, hey, man, you, you, you like, you're like my god. Yo, this is how, like I said, 20 bucks is like uh, $120, I mean 120000 over there. But because he, no one can give him that kind of money back home and me actually sending it to him, right? Mm -hmm. It's a big thing for him. So he's he's being so grateful to me that he's, he keeps texting me out of, you know what I mean? Like like just today I got like six texts from this guy from on WhatsApp, like hey, from like a voice note, like text, yeah. like, thank you so much. I appreciate this. I appreciate this. And it's like, I know I did it because I, I want to help him. But for him, it's a big thing. It's like I actually gave him money for at least two weeks to have access to food. And for me, 20 bucks, like I said, I can't even buy food for two days with that. You see what I mean? So we, like, we as newcomers, when we come here, a lot of Canadians say we're just so, we are fake. Like we say, you know, we appreciate too much. It's like we're fake. But we're not being fake. This is, we, we're not used to someone giving us. You know, 
even me as when we came here there's a lot of uh, we are muslims right but there's a lot of church church like church organizations they used to come to my house and give us free food free clothes like donations right and you know like we are muslims and they knew we are muslim but they still did it because they felt like we are humans and we like we need church mean I think so. Yeah. I think they were Christians, Catholics. Yeah. yeah, like Christians. Yeah. Th- and they knew we're Muslim because my mom wears the hijab. My sister wears the hijab. Yeah. But they came to our house and gave us food. On Christmas, they brought us like, you know, free like groceries and shoes and jackets and, you know, toques and mittens. And my dad said, maybe they don't know we're Muslim. If they find out we're Muslim, they won't give us. So I told them. They said, oh, no, we know. We know you're Muslims. But, you know, you're welcome to Canada. And, you know, this is how we should be living. And this is why... It hurts for me as, you know, an immigrant or a refugee when I hear no one talks about what's happening in Congo, no one talks about what's happening in Syria, but when one guy gets shot in the US, everyone is changing their profile picture. Let's pray to let's pray for America. What about the 45,000 people who die a year in like Congo through war, you know? What about the young kids dying in Yemen, Syria? You know, but then when one person is shot, like if someone shoots someone in Paris, then we have to change our profile pictures to let's pray for Paris. And I'm not saying it's wrong. We should pray for Paris, but maybe we should pray for Congo too. Yeah. You see what I mean? So things like those, you know, like every time you think about stuff like that, it, it's it's sad. Like it's really sad when some people think that their life is worth more than other people. There's a kid dying in Congo as I speak right now, but they're like six years old. They don't deserve that. But no one is talking about it, right? But then if one kid one kid in Canada right now is 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 stabbed and is dead, we're going to be hashtag pray for Alisa. Hashtag pray. What about hashtag that kid in Congo? Yeah. You know? Hashtag that that kid in Syria who lost both of her parents. You know? And I'm not saying it's okay for Alisa, the Canadian, to be stabbed, but I'm saying if we can show the same compassion to her, we should show the same compassion to everyone else. You know? Yeah, but yeah, that's life, man. But it's crazy. It is crazy. Yeah. You you mentioned some of the presentations you've done. Like what have you where have you spoken and for what and how did that come uh, about? Yeah, I've spoken I've spoken in many schools. I've spoken at the University of Winnipeg, University of Manitoba, C B C Is uh, that through needs or yeah, most of them, most of them is like I talk to you, right? Yeah. And then someone else listens and like, and then they come to you and get, just like Margaret connected you with me, right? Right. So it's like different people connect me to different people. You know, I've, I've spoken in Umoja, like uh, organizations. It's like, like so many, so many organizations where it's like we're talking about me. I'm more focused on the youth and the newcomer and life, just, just life in Canada, you know? So we talk about the things just to send out the message that, uh, you know, the message of love and peace and understanding. But I've done so many. The problem is I don't write them down, but, yeah, like, I've done, I've actually done one in Toronto, you know. Oh, yeah. I was paid, yeah, all paid. I was with the YAG, Youth Agents something. We I was fly to Toronto to speak about that kind of stuff. I was there for three days, you know, everything paid for. Nice. Was Good that life, th- man. this past year? Or? Yeah, last year, last year, yeah. Nice. Yeah, and I've, I've gone to uh, Montreal, something, you know, to speak in a conference. So it's like, I've done this for a while, and, you know, and like I said, uh, I'll, I'll be honest, I will, I will admit this on the podcast, like, I, I'm very insecure about my accent. I love it, but when I'm speaking to Canadians, I feel like they don't understand. Really? But yeah, I feel like they don't understand what I'm saying. I don't and know. I don't, I don't have any trouble understanding. That's what I'm saying, but yeah. like, it's just something I have in me, right? Right. 
So every time I do these conferences where it's like newcomers, I feel like I'm the best speaker, right? But when I'm with Canadians, there's always that. Like, are they understanding? <laughs> are they not, right? But I feel good after I do these conferences to see someone white walk up to me and say, hey, that was a good speech, right? So it gives me that like, oh, maybe they did understand. You are making a difference. Yeah, yeah. right? So that's what I'm saying. But yeah, I've done, I've done at least from what I can remember, at least I've done like at least 30 like yeah presentations quite a lot of work yeah like a lot of and and for me it's like i speak from the heart i don't write stuff down i just feel like i speak what i feel and i i feel i feel like the whole world should be like this we should always speak what we feel not to just you know deny like denigrate someone or make them feel small but speak what we feel has in like what we feel should change you know like i want to be the change you know if i want mm. to see change I, I have to be that change right so we we talk about all the things most of the times just because we want other people when they hear these things like the things i've said today if someone else listens to them maybe they can also pass it on to someone else right it's like hey man you know this this you know i had this about the congo you know that's not right so we send a message like you know if um terrorism terrorism in africa is terrorism to mankind you know it's not always about oh no then africa who cares you know like these, these are humans like us. They also want to be living like us. But the reason why they're not doing that because no one's fighting for them, you know. So yeah, like that's the message. We always want to talk so other people can get involved and make a change, you know. So you uh, mentioned that you got a scholarship and you've gone back to school now. Mm -hmm. So yeah. what, tell me a bit about that then. Yeah, man. I uh, I was uh, working at Malvi and this lady walks to me. She said, "Hey, man, you're so good with kids and stuff." I'm like, yeah, 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 you know, I love working with kids. Then she asked me, did you study for this job? I'm like, no, man, it was, you know, connections and stuff. Yeah. She's like, so what do you want to do? I said, I don't know, but I know for sure I want to work in schools, you know. I still want to work in, like, um, in the school division. She was just like, oh, this, this scholarship they're giving out, you should go apply. Maybe you, you, you'll get in, right? So she gave me the information. She was, I think, a parent or something like that. And when she gave me the information, I, I went and applied and they asked me, to write an essay about why I actually want to work with the youth and why I want to work in the school division. So I actually, I applied and they called me for an interview. And when I did go for the interview, this guy calls me that same night. He's like, hey man, like your speech really touched me and everything you wrote, you know, I'll, I'll give you the scholarship. So then I got, I got the scholarship. It was, um, he tells me we were like 600 people who applied, but they only needed 24 people. Wow. That's a big number. Yeah. But uh, I'm grateful I was one of the lucky, you know, yeah. I was one of the lucky guys. And I, uh, in the class, I have 24, I mean, 23 other students with me and we all got scholarships. And, you know, we're very grateful to be there and uh, we're doing our internship right now. So everybody who got the scholarship, it's for the same program? You're same in? program, yes. Okay. Same so program. They just needed 24. It's a government scholarship with benefits like allowance. They give you money. They actually make you quit your job, right? Because we're going full time. Right. So yeah, I quit my job and you know both jobs A and W and needs. I quit and they send me some money, you know, for allowance. It's right. not enough, but at least it's good. It it's still it helps, yeah. yeah. And uh, I uh, I'm doing the course. I'll finish in April and then graduate in May. Nice. And then if I do graduate, hopefully my school will hire me or whatever. And you right, know, I'll start yeah, go back to Malvi. Go back to Malvi or go back to my same school that I'm actually doing my practicum in because I've actually. Oh, you like it there? Yeah, no, not really like it there, but again, like, the kids, we've actually, like, 
made a relationship. Good. Right. Like now I am I'm used to them. They used to me. You know. Where which one is it again? I'm sorry. David Livingstone. Right. Right. Yeah. So uh, it's a nice school and it's in my neighborhood and it's good to be a role model. Like now I'm always chilling on the weekends and I'm minding my business and these kids run up to Mister D. Do we have gym tomorrow? I'm like, hey man, like, cut me a slack, <laughs> man. Like, <laughs> I'm just trying to chill, bro. Like, you know, because they, 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 they see you in the neighborhood. Yeah, because yeah. the school is behind my house. Right. Like, the school is behind my house. Like, yeah. the school. I actually go for lunch at my house. It's I don't so even close. carry lunch. Yeah. So it's like, but it's good. Like they they get to see a positive role model in the school. I mean, in the community. Because I live in the north end, bad yep. neighborhood. You know, a lot of bad things going on. A lot of police always roaming around. And them having Mr. D around gives them the hope that uh, maybe they can actually, you know, become someone. Yeah. And uh, that's the message I tell them, actually, because I'm a newcomer to this country. I've been here for four years. And if I can, ma- if I can become something, they can become something because they're actually born here, right? And even those who are not born here and they're still very young because I'm in a junior, junior high school, right? Mm-hmm. From grade like grade one to like grade nine. So like I tell them like you you kids are still too young, you know, you can write your own story and some of us ours was written for a long time until we came here, right? But some of you came here when you're like two years old. So when they see me around, it sends the message they can become they don't have to be EAs, right? They don't have to be education assistants or teachers, but they can become whoever they want to do as as long as it helps the community, right? So right. it really it makes me feel good sometimes when uh, I'm around and they're like, Mr. D, and, you know, he's my neighbor, he's my brother, because I have siblings, right? And those siblings are friends with these kids. So they keep telling my brother, my, my, my little sisters and brother, hey, your, your, your brother is so cool, he's my teacher, you know? You know, and it feels nice when you can send, you know, the message that, uh, you know, we, we can write our story, because I feel like we as newcomers, our story has been written for us for a very long time. Until we get here, and sometimes you know when we get here, we're scared to actually realize our potential. So we stay on 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 welfare for the rest of our lives, not because we want to, but we 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 are anxious. We don't know how to talk to people. We don't know how to apply for jobs. So, yeah, I, I'm at David Livingstone, and you know it's close to my house. I'm giving back to the community. I'm volunteering. I'm like, and uh, I'm assisting with coaching the volleyball team. Okay, and uh, you know. It's all, you know, it's all, it's all like being positive out here, you know, and and my community, the kids now, they're getting used to me, and now when they're like doing stuff, something bad, and they see me, they run, cause they know on Monday I'm, like I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm questioning them, you know, so it's good to have that kind of authority yeah. in, in the community with these kids, cause I work with little kids, and whatever you teach them is what they know, so the message is we we are trying to have. Like me personally, I believe in uh, in the youth, and I feel like they are the future of tomorrow. But the thing is, we as parents, we have dedicated our life to buying iPhones. We don't even tell our kids they're beautiful, right? So we have girls who are like 19, but they don't think they're beautiful just because they've never had anyone tell them that. And the first person who tells them is their boyfriend. But when the boyfriend is mad, he says, I didn't even like you anyways. And, you know, like self-esteem in this country is very low, not because... The kids are not beautiful, smart, or whatever, but we don't have people who tell them that stuff. So, like, for me, even the kids we work with, we try to always tell them to be kind to each other, you know. Give compliments. If you like your friend's shoes, tell them. Yeah. And if you think they are smart, tell them. Because uh, when they keep hearing this, one day when they hear a negative comment, 
it doesn't hit them so hard because they've had so many positive comments, right? But when they they don't hear things like those, and the first thing they hear is like you're fat, you're ugly, that's what they will believe growing up. So, you know, I always liked working with the little kids because what you teach them is what they know. Because they're, they're in the process of learning, right? High school, I'm too small. They don't take me serious. I've worked <laughs> in a high school. You know, I've worked in a high school before, and uh, the kids, they want to fight me and stuff. And yeah. Because they think they're cool and all that stuff. They go to the it's gym, age, right? Yeah. And, you know, junior high is good because, you know, I'm a, at least an authority figure with these kids, and they respect me, you know? So, and like I said, I, I enjoy what I do, and I feel like, we like me personally because i really believe in humanity i haven't given up and there's so many things happening right now so many people killing each other <laughs> but uh, i believe in humanity and i think there's good in everyone you know we just have to find it so i'm still I believe that as well yeah so we we are working on uh, the kids and because if we have kids who are actually very kind people then we'll have kind prime ministers and kind presidents who won't be saying no no more refugees in the country because they will be bombing our streets you know so we we are trying to make our kids like at david livingstone we are focusing on making our kids become better citizens and if they if they can grow up to be that then you know we're set because they will be kind to each other and they will be great leaders you know do you have any plans for the future beyond being prime minister, man. Yeah, prime minister. <laughs> nah, I'm just messing with you. I <laughs> long term goals or anything you got? Long term, long term goals. Prime minister is a fair answer, man. <laughs> no, I, I think to be honest, if I was to look in my future, like and 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 I'm I'm saying this with all seriousness. I just want to be happy. Like I want to be mentally, physically happy, and then if I if I am that in the next few years to come, then I'll be productive. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing destroys us. Human beings has the mind. The mind can mess mess up your. Like you can be president, but if your mind is messed up, like Donald Trump, you're really messing up the world. You know what I mean? So for me, I think to be honest, I just want to be happy because I know if I'm happy, I have positive like positive thoughts. I have, I'm kind to people. So in that process, I'm actually making a change. So I would love to still work with the youth, but I just want to be happy. So that I can actually be there for them mentally and physically, because sometimes it's like when your mind, because people think having, and I, I, I can like testify on this. You can have money in the bank, you can have a car, you can have all the things, but if you're not happy with yourself, nothing, nothing really matters to you, you know. And that's that's what I like. That's why I'm telling you this answer, because I have a car now, I have all the things. My mom is alive, my dad is alive, my family is all safe. But I want to be happy so that if I am happy, I can send positive vibes everywhere and actually, you know, be whatever I want to become. Because if I'm happy, then I believe in myself. I believe in other people. I see the good in other people. You know what I mean? So it's like the, it all starts with my mind. If I'm happy, I make other people happy. I make the right decisions, I, you know? So for me, if you ask me about my future, I just want to be happy, man. So what dials into that? What are the major factors? To you? Like, What's the recipe for happiness then? Being grateful, man. Yeah. Just be grateful. Just think, if you don't have a car, someone doesn't have legs, right? And, you know, like, y y those small things. You think, oh, I didn't have, I didn't have break, I didn't have breakfast today, but someone didn't have food for three days, you know? So it's always, always, every time things are, are not going well in your life, just look at someone below you, 
right? Or today I don't have gas money, then think of the guy you left on the street asking for change. You don't have gas money, but at least you have a friend who can come pick you up, take you to work. So that's the only thing I think, the only, rep like for me, from my experience, the only recipe for happiness is being grateful. You always just think I'm better than anyone else. You you are sad, you bro you 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 you're sad, your boyfriend broke up with you, but then someone is dying of cancer, right? They have levels, I don't know, level three or something, right? Mm -hmm. Or we say, Oh, my my boyfriend doesn't think I'm beautiful and I'm very depressed about that. Someone just lost a mother, you know? You know, stuff like that. I don't have where to live today, you know, I can't pay rent, you know. Yeah, think someone is living with happies, man. You know, like all those things, like the things you can call, like right now, if I don't have somewhere to live, I can call William, man, I'll sleep here for two days while I look for someone else, right? Yeah. And then you just think of someone who's been diagnosed with cancer, man, like that's it for them. That can't, like they're going to go to, to is it chemotherapy or something? Yeah. But then that's very expensive. Now that's another problem for them, you know? So when you think this, you know, it's like, I don't get likes on Facebook. This is a problem to some people. <laughs> I don't have likes on Facebook, man. I'm going to kill myself. Yeah. It's like, just think. Someone doesn't even know what Facebook is, right? So it's like being grateful. That's it. Like me personally, I've, I've been very, 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 even when I came here, I was very depressed because I was homesick. Even, even today, I think I would have been that. But the thing is, even when I think about it, it's like I'm alive now and I can at least send money back home, you know? At least I can do something good, something that makes me feel good. So now I'm still homesick, but I look at it as a, an opportunity for me to help those people back home. Because when I send a hundred, when I when I send a hundred dollars back home, man, it, like these guys are like throwing parties and baby showers, man. It's a hundred dollars, <laughs> bro. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a hundred dollars, bro. Like they're calling everyone in the neighborhood. Like our son sent us a hundred dollars. So like for me, it's always repress the negative with the positive. Like you know, today I felt my test. But I have, I have, you know, I still have the privilege to go to school. You know, you think about stuff like that. You know, today my car was stolen, just like mine was. But then I think MPI is going to cover that. You see, like we always have, like it's so bad to always think you have problems. Sometimes just look at the good things happening in your life. And that's what I'm saying, like being grateful. That's it. Like you divorced with your husband that you love so much. Then you think someone else, their husband went to work and, he just had an accident and died. You see? Like, it's always like, our problems are always smaller than other people. So every time you think that in your brain, you'll be happy. Because you know, it's not only you, and then you know, he, your problem is small to some people. So I think that's the recipe for happiness for me. Other people, I don't know, but I think if you're positive and if you're grateful. I know, I know a friend of mine back home, he was uh, diagnosed with uh, cancer of the throat. Mm -hmm. So he has to eat through tubes. But you know what he told me, man? He told me like, hey, man, uh, he's rich, so he's good. But he told me like, I, I just, I, I'm just, you know, I'm just uh, excited to see what this experience will teach me. I'm like, hey, man, that's, like, this guy has cancer, but he wants to see what that's going to teach him as a person. So he's not crying about it. Like, oh, you know, and he has a reason to freak out, but he's actually seeing it in a way that Maybe this is a new way of me learning how to eat, like use my tubes or something. And I'm still alive, you know. As long as you're alive, you know, just, you know. And I know I'm, uh, it's not my place to say these things, but 
a lot of the stuff that we think we're going through as people, we can't control. We can't control them. So and instead of being sad about what you can't control, you know, be happy about what you have. And life goes on. By the time you're on your deathbed, you actually have less regrets as in like you actually enjoyed your life. Right. You see? You enjoyed your life as a human being and the things you didn't manage to control, all the things that gave you anxiety. You know, when you die, that's it. You don't want to be that guy when you die. No one's going to talk about, hey, he had nice shoes, right? Everyone's going to be like, hey, he was kind. He was nice. And like I said, everyone has a story. Just be kind to people. The impression you leave out people. There's people we meet once, but they never forget about us because we treated them like people. I think I told you this last time I was with you. I waved at a guy who was going to kill himself. He was going to kill himself. No, can you tell the story? Yeah, like I was driving. <laughs> I was driving my car, right? Yeah. And then this guy walks in the middle of the road. In the middle of the road, right? At night, it was like 11 p.m. And it's winter. So I, I you know, I, I saw him and then I stopped. And then I was going to like cast, like I was going to say, hey man, like, you know, are you, are you dumb or what's going on? Yeah, yeah. But then I thought to myself, this guy's probably rushing because it's cold and he wants to reach the other side so he can get on the bus or something, right? So I stopped my car and I said, hey, you know, like, I, I just, I think I told him something like, I don't remember what exactly I said, but I think I said something like, hey, have a good night. I think something like that. And because my car, when I'm driving at night, I'm just paranoid. So I put my lights on in the car because I'm, I'm scared something's going to like strangle me or something. I don't know. <laughs> so, like your interior light? Yeah, like uh, my lights in the car, like <laughs> yeah. they're always on, right? So, and I, you know, I put out my head. I told him, hey, have, you know, I think I said have a good night or something. And then he stood in the middle of the road. I think he was looking at me. And then one day I'm on the bus. I meet this guy. I don't even remember him. I don't remember him. Then he tells me, hey, I think I've seen you somewhere. Your face looks familiar. Then I'm like, he was white. So I made a joke. I told him, you know, black people all look the same to white people. Then yeah. he laughed. He yeah. laughed. He thought it was funny. And he's like, <laughs> okay, he told me, do you drive? Do you have a car? I said, yeah, I have a car. He said, by that time I was driving the Ford, the other black yeah. Ford Taurus. He said, do you have a black car? I said, yeah, I do. I was like, where do you live? I tell him, he's like, uh, have you ever stopped your car on the street during this time? I'm like, yeah, man, there's this guy who was crossing the road and he didn't even wait for the lights. He's like, that was me. He told me, like, that was me. I said, oh, okay, man. Like, next time you have to be careful. He's like, no, I actually wanted you to hit me. Like, I, 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 that day I was actually suicidal. Like, I just, like, he told me he had lost his wife. I mean, his dog. Yeah. His dog has died and he was very depressed. I'm like, hey, man. Like, and I told him the same thing. I told him, hey, he's, he's in a better place right now. And, you know, and I'm sorry if my horn, because I, 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 I honked at him. I told mm -hmm. him, I'm sorry if I honked at you and that was rude. I didn't know what was going on. He told me, no. When he told me, when he told me to have a good night, I actually felt like someone cared about me, you know? And that made me go home, and I didn't kill myself. And it's like, thank you for that, like, you know? Because of you, I'm alive today. Hey, man, like, that was, that was big for me. I stayed on the bus with him. I actually asked for his number, but he told me he doesn't have a phone. He's mm -hmm. very old. I think he told me he was, like, 59. Yeah. But I think if I seen him today, I can still remember. And I think he remembers me till this day. So yeah. that's what I'm saying, right? Like, something small, like, just be kind. How many people honk at people crossing the road in the winter? And like, hey, watch the road, you dumb, you know, asshole, whatever. Totally. But it's like, yeah. Sometimes it's like the guy's just having things going on. He didn't even look at the light. Or maybe it's just too cold. He wants to go to some, you know, coffee shop and get coffee, you know. So I saved someone's life because of being kind, you know. And that taught me to actually, like, I, I don't know, like, things like those, like, 
I learned a lot from that, you know, and I really hope if he one day listens to this or his grandkids, because I know maybe he's told this story to someone before. Right. Like, wherever you are, Gabriel, like, you know, you know, I'm honored that uh, you're living because I was kind to you, you know, because he told me his name was Gabriel, you know, yeah. and he told me he had grandkids. So maybe he told them the story, you know, but uh, yeah, like, that was big for me, you know. So things like those, right? That's life. Like when I die, maybe his grandkids will say, this guy actually saved my grand, you know, my granddad's life. Like that's life, right? So everyone has a story. Everyone's going through something. But it's so sad when you think it's only you going through stuff and you want everyone to empathize with you, right? Because you haven't told me about how you grew up. Maybe you have things going on. So let's be grateful and let's just be kind to one another you know it's just easy that's i think that's the recipe for happiness because when you're grateful you're kind to people because you get to understand that everyone has issues going on and then when you're kind to people everyone is happy and then you're happy too because you made someone happy you know so i think that's the recipe to happiness and you know drinking for us canadians tim hortons yeah <laughs> you know that's <laughs> that's like big for us in the winter right yeah, yeah. that keeps you warm yeah so, but that's. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to get into before we finish today? Uh, anything I want to get into? Yeah, I, I just, uh, I just want to, you know, like, you know, give, uh, how's it called, like recognition. Shout out. Shout. Not really. Yeah, like a shout out actually to people who have actually made, you know, given me a lot of opportunities in this country. Even yeah. for you to know me today, you know. Yeah. You know, my mom, my dad for actually raising me, not giving, because a lot of parents throw their kids. When it's war, like, you don't care, right? You just throw the kid and run for your life, right? But my parents actually stayed with me until they got me to this country. It's because of their efforts, you know? You know, Devon Clunis, the retired chief, the retired chief of police, you know? Big, my one of my biggest mentor, you know? Someone who's mentored me and helped me navigate the laws in this country and helped me how did you two end up connecting? Yeah, Umoja conference. I, I, I did this conference and talked about the youth and he really liked it and he connected with me backstage and okay. he gave me his phone number. We are best friends, man. Yeah? The, like, I text this guy like he's my dad. Like, hey, man, what's <laughs> happening? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> what are you having for breakfast? You know, yeah. the coolness, man, whatever you are, like, you know, I, I actually got me my first car, like the Ford Taurus. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you know. You tell me that. Yeah, he, you know, he, he sold me. I'm not going to say he gave it to me. He actually sold it to me, but for like, very small money. Yeah. Like I wouldn't get it for that price. And he actually made me pay. He told me you can pay the money, you know, like you can pay the loan. Because he actually gave it to me on loan. So mm -hmm. it's not like I paid cash. He told me, you know, I trust you, whatever, you know, pay me per month. So I pay, I basically pay this guy like $100 a month. Right. You know what I mean? A month, like that's it. So, you know, Devon Coolness and your wife, Pauline, you know, they've been a big part of my life. You know, they've helped me. He's the one who also taught me how to drive. I got my, I'm the first refugee in this country who got my driver's license on the first try. Really? It's like I drove, <laughs> I drove this thing and this guy said, you know what, you're so good. Let's go back. Five minutes. Because Devon actually put a lot of power, like a lot of time. Every Saturday and Sunday coming to my house, you know, taking me for the drives, you know. And, you know, it's big, like, I'm grateful for that. Uh, you know, Need Center, Margaret, you know, the, she runs Need Center. She's like the boss over there, like. She hires these guys who actually have compassion, who have like passion, who have like empathy to actually work with all of us with our trauma and everything. But they very understanding people, and they they have helped me become who I am today. You know, you know, and everyone else, man, like everyone else who has paid for my, you know, my my visitations to other provinces. Everyone else who has, 
being my mentor Naomi you know I have a friend of mine good friend of mine I met at Nids Naomi she's a good mentor to me too like you know she's helped me every time I'm sad she's the first person I call because you know we've been through the same stuff growing up you know you know she understands yeah she understands and she yeah uh, she she's very older than me she would be my girlfriend but uh, yeah <laughs> she's very older than me and uh, but she's really nice you know and you know like you know like i just uh, and again i'm just being grateful cuz i know i'm smart and i know many people say i'm a, i'm a very charming person and all that but because they gave me the confidence you know they actually pushed me to be great and devon like he's done so much stuff for me he's like a second father to me you know and uh he's been on my recommendation ever since i met him on my references and every time they call him he just says hi the kid why i put you in jail you know it's like that's the, <laughs> that's the, that's a inside joke he knows what yeah. i'm saying but like he's big man you know having yeah. someone like me like him to be a part of my uh entourage you know that's big mm-hmm. and uh he's you know my mom my dad you know even you yourself for giving me this time to come and actually talk to these people oh man the privilege you know? is mine for sure yeah, yeah uh, you know and you know everyone else like the community itself canadian like the canadian community for welcoming us newcomers not only me and my family but everyone else mm-hmm. giving us opportunities you know giving us somewhere safe to live you know and uh you know like i just yeah i just felt like i have to like give special thanks to those people and to the almighty god you know i'm muslim you know i thank allah you know for actually keeping me alive today alive and healthy yeah and some women say i'm very good looking so uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you for that too so i uh, yeah i uh, i thank i thank the women uh, who uh you know who give me a lot of uh, confidence in myself a lot of high self esteem i have like i've said i've dated a lot i've never dated someone african no but, no uh, uh both my uh, my girlfriends they were like canadian so yeah. They uh they always made me feel good about myself. Hasn't like talk about like how they like me and whatever you know. And it's nice when someone from another race actually praises you for who you are, right? And not wanting to change you or you know. Yeah. So I I appreciate them whoever they are. You know, they're my exes now. I can't I can't say their names, but you know, if they listen to this, they know who they are. You know. Yeah. And uh, yeah, man, like I'm really honored to actually have a voice to speak about the things and for those things that I said so fast and my accent they didn't understand you know man like email email william man and I'll <laughs> I'll straighten out things you know <laughs> cuz I I oh, they can rewind man I they can rewind yeah I can't control this stuff <laughs> but uh yeah man I I had fun you know and uh I really hope this will uh change some pers- perspective on other people like I hope this will make other people feel happy and and I hope you know I just hope this will make someone out there happy and feel good about themselves you know I hope so too yeah okay man thanks for coming down thank you thank you